1: We discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones.
2: Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Be in touch with me about what you've enjoyed and what you'd like to see, actually hear more of on the show in the future. Just go to my host page at Voice America to listen to all the incredible people I've interviewed and find links to my website, email, and social media. Become part of the Good Grief Conversation. Today, I'm pleased to have Lynette Woolworth on the show with me. Lynette is an Australian artist and filmmaker whose immersive video installations and film works reflect on the connections between people and the natural world, as well as exploring fragile human states of grace. Her work uses immersive environments, interactive technologies with gestural interfaces and narrative long-form film to engage with the viewers. Her most recent works include the feature documentary Tender, tracing the beginnings of a community-led funeral company, and Coral, an immersive film for full-dome digital, digital planetariums with an augmented reality companion work. Walworth's work has been shown at the Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts and the American Museum of Natural History, New York, the Sundance Film Festival, the Australian Center for Contemporary Art, Melbourne, the Smithsonian, Washington, Royal Observatory Greenwich for the London 2012 Cultural Olympiad, Auckland Triennial, Adelaide Biennial, Brighton Festival, and the Vienna Festival, among many others. Woolworth has been awarded an International Fellowship from the Arts Council, England, a New Media Arts Fellowship from the Australia Council for the Arts, the inaugural Australian Film, Television, and Radio School Creative Fellowship in 2010, and the AIDC David and Joan Williams Documentary Fellowship in 2014. Ah, this year. Welcome, Lynette.
3: Thank you, Cheryl. It's great to be talking to you.
2: Oh, I'm I'm very happy about this for sure. Um, first of all, I just want to say I was really so moved by your film Tender, and very much inspired. It's just a beautiful film, both um, you know, visually, filmmaker-wise, and just the subject is so absolutely tender, just like the title. So I appreciate I appreciate that very much. You know, when when my wife died, I kept as many decisions in my own hands as possible. But the idea that this community is trying to keep it all in their hands is very, really, very remarkable. I think. Can you describe the yeah. film a little for the listeners who haven't seen it?
3: Sure. Um, so this is a very small community south of Sydney, in a highly industrialised area. Um, There's a lot of uh, unemployment in this area. There's a lot of social issues that people are challenged by. But they have built, really in the shadow of this industry, an incredibly close-knit community group. Um, Because they struggle a lot with financial issues, as well as with issues of feeling, I think, that they are in control of aspects of their life and their destiny. They decided that one of the things that they wanted to take back into their own hands was to look after their own dead, And really that's as explicitly as they say it. Peanels um, in Australia, on average, cost around $9,000. Mm. Um Sometimes people are requested to pay half of that amount up front, and we have large um, multinational companies operating in Australia, as as similarly to the US, Mm who basically are holding all of the cards for the industry. So these people um, found that they were struggling to not just pay for the funeral, but to also have the ritual in a way that they felt gave them the, the best opportunity to really farewell and grieve for the loved ones. So they said, why don't we just do it ourselves? What, if we what a revolutionary idea, profit. Profit. huh? <laughs> yes, and not for profit, funeral company. When you say it, it sounds so, so simple and, and why has this not happened before, but it, it took them to decide to do it.
2: For sure. How did you come to make the film, Lynette?
3: Well, the manager of this community centre, a wonderful woman um, named Jen Busco-Huff, I've known Jen my whole life, really. Mm. So we've known each other since we were very, very young. And... um, I have known, therefore, what they're doing in this community centre, and they have a lot of great initiatives. It's just that when Jen decided that um, this, the, the community, when they all decided they would take on this project, it occurred to me that it was a perfect subject matter for a documentary because whilst the community was learning how to go about um, managing their own funerals, they were going to hold workshops, they were going to be, basically going through an education process themselves. I thought if I could film that, then the film itself could become a workbook of how other people might emulate them, so that the film could then act as a template to help other communities start their own not-for-profit funeral companies.
2: You know, having read a lot about about your work in the last while, um, it seems uh, slightly different than what you do in general, is that... Is that correct, or have you, ha- ha- you know, the kind of, uh, it seems as if a lot of your work is very interactive, uh, and this is,
3: go ahead. Yeah, this is true, this is true. It's different in that sense. Most, of, Much of my work has um, been in galleries and um, immersive environments that are created in a gallery space or a museum space. And this is the first documentary I've done um, for broadcast as well as for film festivals. But I thought it was the documentary was the best base for this work because it's a universal topic, because it's a topic that people struggle to talk about, mm-hmm. and that when people are dealing with grief. They're not in a position to ask the series of questions, really, that might ha- help them have the best possible grieving experience. And because... Broadcast. So this work actually was broadcast on our um, national broadcaster shortly after it um, screened at several festivals here. It meant that the reach of the film could be much greater than what I could give it if I put it into a gallery. And that was my intention. I thought um, people struggle to talk about this. They struggle to talk about it with their loved ones. There's a whole lots of issues here that could be eased if we could begin the conversation. And, um, Absolutely. so documentary is a, is a great form for helping to create a work that then could possibly help people begin talking to one another.
2: Absolutely. And the, the other thing that occurred to me as I was watching it a few times, because <laughs> it's just so beautiful, is that it's very emotionally interactive, i mean i I felt mm. like i was I was in it with the people that you filmed very much, and I wonder if that's kind of influenced by your the way you think you know uh, you yeah. you think interactively <laughs> it <is.
3: laughs> yes, it is very much I mean all of the work I do um i design imagining um the audience as participating in the work so when it came to make a documentary that's one thing to do in a physical space i can I know how to make that happen mm-hmm. um, in a documentary. I wanted to achieve the same thing because I think you know when we when we emphasize when our hearts open up um, it's when real shifts can happen um, and in order to be open, you need to feel somehow that you're involved, that you're caring, that you're participating. So there are moments in this film in Tender, especially, where I think I've achieved that um, the moment which you will have seen when the Venice, who is giving the workshop, teaching people how, what they can do for themselves in terms of caring for um, someone who has died. She gives a description of a funeral um, with a whole family and all friends
2: participating yes. in preparing the body. And and we will be hearing that clip in the next segment, too. Um, oh, that's so which, great. Which, oh, oh. Uh, which, <laughs> which I'm looking funny. very much forward to sharing with the listeners because it's so, so moving.
3: I would like to give them a little sense of. That happens. I'm sorry. I think I think that that moment that you've chosen to show is exactly one of those moments where where that happens, where you feel you're with Zenith and she's also talking to you.
2: Yeah, and and so reminded me of experiences that I've had uh, that just make all the difference. They really do. As a contrast, though, the clip that I have for this segment is Misty kind of talking about what goes wrong, in a sense, what might have inspired this project, don't you think? Oh, uh, um, yes. Um, yes. Would you like to say anything about that before we, uh, we
3: listen? Yes, for sure. I think you know I touched a little bit on what happens when a large um, company that has... That needs to make profit for its shareholders, like a stockholder, um, a shareholder listed property becomes is managing funerals. Is that you get pressures um, around time and money, all those equations that really you don't, you shouldn't have to be dealing with when you when you're trying to bury someone. And NISI has exactly that experience. So, what she, why I, I left that. Um, conversation in that she's having with me about her grandfather's funeral is because she's talking about how you've given a half an hour and you're meant to do all that you need to do to farewell someone who's lived a, a long and beautiful life. You're pressured to do all your farewelling in a half-hour time slot. And that's what this community is struggling to, be, to manage, and that's what they want to get rid of for themselves. They want to create something that gives them the time and space they need for ritual.
2: Yes. Let's listen to that now. Misty. It's, uh, it's just so cold and rushed, and, you know, you have to...
4: we have got this opening at this time, and you have to have everybody else out because they're coming back in at 2 o'clock, and, you know, it's there's nothing... There's nothing loving or supportive or anything about it. <laughs> I remember when I sat in with um, my mum and her brother and sister when we were organising my grandfather's funeral. Hi, how are, how are you? I'm good, thank you. And when we were talked about who was doing eulogies, you only had five minutes. You could only do your photo spread for one song. And I mean here's this man who died at eighty years old, who has that many newspaper clippings and certificates and medals and you know, just accolades of things that he's done in eighty years and then family and stuff that you
2: how can you put that into two and a half minutes, you know? Oh, I, I just was I was so moved by how um how she described that feeling, which of course I've heard about before being a grief counselor. The kind of sense of being cut off is so
3: common. I know, and, and, you know, people struggle, struggle with, with grief. As you know, you know much, much more than me, Cheryl, about the way it impacts people and the struggle even to speak, but the desire to speak and to and to honour that person that you've loved, and to imagine Misty being pressured to throw together words that won't exceed two and a half minutes when she's trying to talk about grandfather, it's painful. And it, you, you hear it and you know in your bones that is not how this should go. And I, I, I mean, this is, this is what this community are wanting to try and create for themselves and for others, I think, um, that you should feel the space to speak, and whoever needs to speak should have the opportunity to speak. So that's the other thing that's happening, that the the possibility of a whole group of people standing together and saying what they want to say as a Mm -hmm. send-off is being limited by a 30-minute time slot.
2: Well, and then I know... uh I know a lot of American indigenous people who try to work their traditions into the funeral industry, and one part of your film really um, touched on that, that that's especially difficult. If you have traditions that don't fit that prototype, it can be so, so um, painful and and, um, um, dismissive. Yes, I think that's true. I
3: mean, we're dealing with people's, belief systems here, aren't we? And, and, and what you imagine, what you want in order to settle that spirit, um, whatever, is, whatever is your belief that needs to happen in order to settle that spirit is being short-changed by um, an organizational or professional approach to to yes. death and burial or, and cremation. And and it's true. In in one of the um, Aboriginal communities that I go and talk to, they say they want to bury their people traditionally, um, but they are prevented from doing that because there is no legislation to support them having that kind of um, burial practice. Um, even the thing of being able to stay with a body overnight, for example, is is not permissible if you go through um, these what is a traditional funeral process in Australia. Whereas mm. for some people, what's important is to stay with is to stay with that loved one until you until you send them off. So to have the restriction on that, even being with the body. Um, that's a very
2: difficult thing for some people. Absolutely. And I can I can relate to that because uh I did a wake for my wife and she was here for thirty six hours. It definitely was overnight and that was a very meaningful time. So I I can feel that very personally. It's time for a yeah. first break. Um,
5: <laughs> After yeah. the break
2: let's 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 talk about Nigel. Um the community member whose whose death uh, and illness and death came right into the middle of the film, and you know how that must have affected you and everyone doing the film. Um, and during yeah. the break, please be sure to go to Good Grief host page at Voice America to find Lynette Walworth and her film. Go to www.tenderdocumentary.com.au. We'll be right back.
1: you
5: become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
1: You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guests today, please call 1-86-472-5792. That's 1-86-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief.
2: Welcome back. This is Cheryl Jones, the host of Good Grief. You can find me at Voice America and at my website, www.weatheringgrief.com. Today, I'm speaking with Lynette Woolworth. Her film, Tender, follows an Australian community working to bring funerals back into the hands of of uh into their own hands with their project ten tender funerals, formerly community undertakings, which I have to say I rather liked that title um, <laughs> uh, for its its kind of twist on words. I love that you know during the break, we were talking about uh where the film is going to be seen next and i I would love for you to share with the readers uh you know its next showing and and um when and where, and all that?
3: Oh, well, we're so excited here because Kenda's um, been selected for the Margaret Mead Film Festival, um, uh, which will be at the American Museum for Natural History in the last week of October this year. So I'll be coming over for that screening. I'm thrilled because I, I love the American Museum of Natural History and um, I've shown work there before. I'm, really excited that we're going to be part of the, that festival. Uh so and, I'll, I'll shortly be there with the film.
2: Wonderful. And and is that in um I I'm, I'm uh showing my West Coast um non-knowledge is that in New York? Yes, in New York. Oh. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
3: I'm yeah. way on the yeah, other coast. <laughs> I, I know. Isn't that so funny? So no, the, uh, I I should have said that. It, it is. It's in New York, and it's um. It's a really. I'm very. I would. I've always wanted to be, to go to that festival. There's it's um. There's only about forty films, so we're go, we're going to be one of those. And oh, I'm, that's um,
2: fantastic. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. And it seems like to me a good fit. Um, with I, just from imagining what a Margaret Mead festival might be, it, it seems like it it's would fit so it, well.
3: Um, to look at, um, because of course that festival was looking at community and ritual around the world. So mm. I'm I'm very happy that they could see those elements so clearly in Tender.
2: Yes, absolutely. You know, I can't I can't really imagine. I'm not a filmmaker, obviously, but. if I put myself in your shoes, I can't really imagine making this film without being affected in a very personal way. It's such a personal film.
3: Um, Was that true for you? Yes, it was um, uh, in some ways very difficult. It was in some ways very difficult. It was a privilege, a complete privilege. um, You know, as you've alluded to, um, one of the... Main members of this community group, Nigel, has a prognosis of um, lung cancer, which he gets shortly before we start filming. All of all of that is just happenstance, really. We were always going to film at this particular time, and it just so occurred that Nigel, around about the same time, found out that he was very ill. Um, he didn't want to know his prognosis, and he didn't want to talk about um, um, how ill he was to his friends so much or to his family. But during the course of filming, he decided he would talk to me. So it was a very delicate thing to have conversations with this beloved member of the community um, around what he hoped and wished and wanted for his own guests should that occur um, in the course of our filming. And um, it was delicate and difficult for me because I was also talking to all of the other people who loved him. But part of that is, I think, the lesson of the film, the struggle that we all have to have these discussions with one another Mm-hmm. And the ramifications of that, if you can't find your way through to actually talk to people who are going to have to deal with your funeral. Um, and that's p- part of the lesson of the film, I think, because Nigel's friends and family were left with a, a challenge of how to farewell him.
2: Absolutely. I've, I've actually had a couple of other shows on that topic uh, There's a project called the Conversation Project in the in in the U.S. They're going international that uh, helps people begin those conversations. And then uh, there's a. Have you heard of them?
3: I've heard of them. I've heard of them. Yes, and I'm going to try and get in contact with them. I thought.
2: Yeah, the uh, I I interviewed the director. She's wonderful. And another one, some some uh, people made a a game to help, a card game to help people have those conversation conversations um, called my gift of grace. So I feel there's a momentum for really trying to get those conversations more uh, haveable, I guess. Not an yeah, eloquent I, way to put I, it, I but... <laughs>
3: I think it's what we need. In a a funny way, I I align those two things, the way we're managing funerals in many ways here and the inability to have the conversation, because I think by removing death so much from ourselves, um, we've also in some ways lost any sense of being comfortable to talk about it. Um, and so if those two things seem to go together. I'm, I'm interested to see how this community goes when they're managing their own funerals and they're tending for bodies. I think it will encourage them all to be much more comfortable to talk about end of life, all aspects of end of life, because they're not... Well, they say themselves they don't want to prof- hand everything over to professionals
2: i'm thinking right now about the scene in the film where um a group of women go to see the coffin that that uh one of them is painting uh oh. because they went to look i know but but the conversation that happened was was so enlivening uh you know getting in it to see how you fit and <laughs> oh. <laughs> i just i just so enjoyed that they were all sort of willing to go there with it, uh, and yeah. and really try on death in a sense. I think that's helpful.
3: Yes, I I I think so too. It's, it's very interesting to show to show the to show this film, and it's and it's screened in several film festivals now. Um, as well as broadcast, and what has, has happened is the feedback from people who are saying they feel less afraid of death just from watching the film, which, oh. is, which is interesting. I think it's those moments that you're talking about that that lets people have a sense of almost being able to be more relaxed because it's more palpable. But I think we need to sort of see and know and touch things, don't we? Um, we just need... Yes a little bit more knowledge. And when things are removed from us all together, they're the things we fear. The things we don't know are what we fear.
2: Yes, and I noticed that in the film, too. There was an early uh, meeting where uh, some of the people who hadn't been so involved just seemed so uncomfortable. Uh, and then later in the scene we mentioned earlier um, that we're going to play in a minute, uh uh, it was some of the same people, but they just seemed to be more present, more there um, later on. They'd gotten used to talking about these things,
3: yeah? Yes, 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 you're absolutely right. That's that's really true. So we were there for uh, several months, and you can see that change in people. And and originally, it's completely true. Jen said something very powerful in the film there's a couple of moments that that really ring with me. And one of those is when she says, we've we've come not to talk about it. We don't talk about it. We think if we talk about death, we'll call it up. And Mm -hmm. there's almost like a superstition in talking about death that we're somehow engaged, bringing it into our lives. And I think that, that some of those people you're seeing in those early moments of the film that's the sensation this is something to do we shouldn't we shouldn't discuss it we try and keep it away from us um and then when they move beyond that and they they become more comfortable in talking about many aspects of end of life and death that they they lose that fear and in losing that fear they're released to enter really much more completely into the ritual
2: Absolutely. And then they're able to participate in this um, this meeting that this clip is about. I'd love to play that now. Would you like to say anything yes. about it?
3: Yes. No, all it is is they're, they're holding workshops in order to learn what aspects of, of deaths and funerals they could take on for themselves. And this is... Um, um, a woman um, who has been running funerals for over 20 years and assists people to cold their own funerals. And she's giving them um, some information about one of the early funerals she did. My young
4: woman died um, of an ectopic pregnancy. She had an autopsy. And then I went and picked her up in the back of the car, not in a coffin on this board, just like that, and then we're bringing her home to the house where she died. This is her husband, and we're, and this is her mother who's come from Germany, and they've been trying to have a baby for 12 years. And the mother said, I said, you know, we can do all this. She said, I, I'm afraid. I said, if you trust me, I will get you there. So. All the women came and the relatives. What I did with the mother was we took a corner of this each, the sheet, and I said, okay, when you're ready, let's pull it back together. So we didn't just do it all in one go, we just went step by step. And so this is where to hear. So for me in this moment, You know, this is every parent's right <laughs> to have time with their child. But I know that that is not always the case. But, and that picture for me is, is very powerful in that. And it was her only daughter, her only child, her only grandchild, all gone. The women had washed and dressed her and then people were gonna come and visit through the house in the afternoon because of the shock. People really needed to see it for themselves. And then we started to wash her. And while that was happening in the house outside, people were painting the coffin. So this is the mother now painting the coffin, you know, the mother's husband, everybody, Children, and then there was a vigil overnight where the mother sat with her all night. And then this is the morning, and we're going to the crematorium. So the men are all there, and we're about to lift her into that coffin. And this is then at the crematorium. The mother was the, you know, covered her with the, her shawl, and then I said to her, are you ready? We'll put the lid on when you're ready. And then we put the lid on together.
3: I reckon it's great. Yeah, I want to be part of it. Yeah.
2: There were lots of tears in that room, and and in my eyes when I was watching it also, it was just so, so moving. Um, I wish I could describe the visual because you weren't you weren't showing her very much, you were showing the people that were um, that were watching her, and it was it was so they just seemed so with her uh during that whole that whole description yes
3: yes I think I guess it's one of the the things about making artwork is that, that hope to translate one individual experience into a more universal experience. And I think that that's what happens in that moment. It happens in the room where people find themselves feeling for that mother and the daughter she's lost. And then it happens when you watch the film, you, you find yourself in exactly the same way imagining what it is that that group is seeing um, when they're looking at those images of that beautiful f- f- funeral and farewell, and that was my hope and my purpose in making this kind of a film is that we should feel that this is something common to all of us, and how how might we manage it, and, and how that is one of the unifying aspects of being a human being.
2: You know. Um personally when when my I knew my wife was gonna die for a long time and we did a lot of talking and someone said along the the line try to avoid that moment where they take away her body Uh, (laughs) um, and and so I did Uh, we kept her home then we washed her body we had a wake we wrapped her we followed her in the car to the crematorium and we came back and did a little ceremony and watched her body burn. And it, it felt so much as if I was honoring the body that had held her, that there was some way that instead of seeming the way people would expect, kind of, I don't know, morbid or something, it was very sacred. And I think we've... I think we've lost that. I I feel grateful that somehow I went with my my gut on that, you know, because yes. it is a um, profoundly wonderful experience to me. Look,
3: I it's so incredible you say that, Cheryl. I um that part of the knowledge the personal knowledge I gained from doing this film is I had as you can imagine many interviews that aren't in the film so I interviewed all of the people in that film individually and talked to them about um, when they had experienced death in some way and that, that The thing that struck me was that those people who had been able to be present with a body, so were there when someone died or were able to have time with the body after death, all of those people said virtually the same thing. They would say almost word for word, she was gone. And, And... or he, he was gone, he wasn't there. And mm-hmm. they would say it, not with a sadness, but almost with an astonishment of how clear it was to them yes. that that person who they had loved really was not there anymore. And I, what I learned from that is that as human beings, I think we need, it benefits us to be with the body because it feels to me like we need our whole being to know that that person has died is helped by being with their body. And these other processes that have stepped in that try and remove you from the body actually don't help the grieving process because some people seem to then get locked into a sadness, which is is not the resolution of grief. It's, it's like being locked into a sense that you... You haven't really said goodbye, um, and I, I think there is something in all that you talk about there that being with the body and seeing the body go helps our grieving process um,
2: I agree, really and I, I also think there's
3: nice.
2: yeah, I also think there's something about caring for the body that feels as if you've completed your commitment. I don't know how yeah. else to put it uh, uh, yeah, it of, it felt very complete that, to me. Yeah,
3: I I tell you what, when I I think about that now, having seen it and filmed it, um, you know what it reminded me of? It rem- it reminded me of here um, when there was a movement to you know when 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 partners were kept out of the birthing room when the mm-hmm. was in birth, the woman was yes. I and mean, what we know now. It's what was impacted by that was a kind of bonding
2: process. Absolutely.
3: It's and time it, for it, our it, second it, break, it, Lynette. Uh, In these uh, few
2: minutes, listeners, be sure to go to my host page, goodgriefatvoiceamerica.com, my website, weatherandgrief.com. I'd love to speak at your conference or event. And you can reach me by email. There's a link on the host page as well. To find Lynette Woolworth, go to www.tenderdocumentary.com.au. Be back soon.
0: Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
1: you.
5: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
1: You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-86-472-5792. That's 1-86-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief.
2: Welcome back to Good Grief. Today I've been talking with Lynette Woolworth, writer and director of the film Tender, which lovingly follows the community center at Port Kembla, Australia, as they try to create a community-based funeral project Lynette, I wanted to start this segment just reading a paragraph out of your statement on the website for the film because um, I was touched by it. You said, "You said, this is just the, the last bit of it, but our film is the gift of the knowledge the Port Kembla community gained, and as such, it is something we can all learn from. It is as funny as they are and as deep-hearted, too. I didn't know the community well when I began filming. I knew only my friend Jen, but I learned to see why she loves them and why they, of all people, would grasp this nettle and hold on tight. And I came to know the very softly spoken Nigel, who quietly placed himself at the heart of this film and let the camera keep rolling. He let us stay because he thought this subject mattered to everyone, and he was right. Tender is his legacy in our learning. His wish would be that its fire and incentive could bring about change. I love that last part. His fire and this yeah. fire and incentive. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um,
3: yeah.
2: uh, I I know from having uh, you know looked them up and mm-hmm. read a bit. They're still trying to raise raise money for the project. Is that right?
3: Yes. Yes. And find a yes to find a funeral, a place where they can actually operate from, and to purchase a car and various things. I have no doubt that it, it, it will all come together. It's slowly coming together. Jen did another funeral for a community member just last week, so they're they're on their way, and and they are um, yeah, they're bringing about this change. Um, in their own area, but because they allowed themselves to be filmed, they've also ignited this kind of conviction around the country for others to, to do exactly what they're doing.
2: And I wondered, was that just something about, you know, because I've never been to Australia, I don't I don't know. I have one very good friend from Australia who lives here, so I, I know a little bit about Australia, but not a lot. Do you think there's anything in particular about your country that made this more um, likely or possible? Or do you think it's just that a few people had a really um, uh, creative inspiration?
3: I think... um Look, I don't know in terms of Australia. I know I can think much more in terms of this community of people. I mean, that it seems to me it was particular to them because they have decided to very actively create the kind of community they want to live in. Um, and so they deal with all manner of things in order to make their lives with one another better and richer and this was one where they were being impacted in a negative way they felt um so they're- they 're very proactive they take they try and take charge um i think like in I think Australia is quite comparable to um, uh, some other countries. England would be one, where there's been a removal. The death, the death has been removed from the home and from the family. It's been taken over by another entity. And maybe we've just removed ourselves a little bit too far. And what this is is a kind of realignment of of actually coming close again, losing some of the fear and taking on some of, as you talked about so beautifully before, Cheryl, some of the gift of being of being really present yes. to, to the death of someone.
2: I know there are little glimmers. Uh, you know, for instance, quite a few... Um, I guess, as a result of the show, quite a few uh funeral homes follow me on Twitter. You know they're obviously interested in in issues of grief. There's a green cemetery not far from here where they're burying mm. people without uh gravestones and mm. um making a park um yeah. so kind of back to the earth um you know so there are little but this just seemed so so complete to me that they just want to kind of have the whole thing in their hands
3: yes and and um i think that they they have found um what they found is that the timing is right for it. There's a whole, because the support is there. There's a whole lot of people who, um, hear about this and think that this is what they want. Australia is, one thing I can say that's very particular to Australia is our connection to the natural world is it's very, very strong. And there's something that correlates with that. Um, in that hands-on approach, in the desire for an eco-burial, in in the desire for for the body to be given back to the earth. Those things, when you talk about them here, are taken up very swiftly. It's what people want. Um, And... That's part of what the community is trying to do as well, to get, to get a burial ground where people can be buried in a, in a, you know, less deep in the living earth as they talk about and where the body can be given back to the soil very quickly. And there's certainly a great interest here in that um, opportunity being, being made more available to, to a whole lot of people. Well, that's
2: interesting what you're saying about the natural world because in another way, um, they're, they're, uh, these, this particular group of people and you as well are, are putting yourselves as bodies that are born and live and die into the context of the natural world. Yes? Uh, you know, yes. We, we're not some other thing that doesn't die and doesn't <laughs> – we are, we are animals, on that level, yes. we we we're
3: natural in that way. Yes, um, I think that you know what you've hit there is exactly the philosophy of Nigel. Nigel, his, the deepest part of Nigel believed exactly what you have just said, and what he wished for was that he would be able to to give gift himself in some way back to the, you know the entire natural system, um, and. It's it's a challenge because we have formalised this process so much um, and what this community's, you know, aiming for is to actually sort of loosen some of those strings and, 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 and you know, make that time more of a sense of re- a return to the earth. Um, I, I know that they're really desperately trying to get an alternative um, burial ground happening and, and I'm sure in a couple of years there'll be something like that um, for the people of Port Kembla but I know um, in New Zealand there's many eco-burial opportunities already. So there's a, there seems to be a time,
2: there's a movement for it. Oh, that's that's fantastic. I, I couldn't get away without encouraging listeners, if they feel moved to, to find, find this uh, project through your website and uh, go ahead and send a little bit of money because uh, it it, that's that's also a reality that we live in a money based. You know, it takes money to do anything, <laughs> almost. Mm. So um, but, sometimes people just feel moved to help, even though it's not going to directly impact them. And of course, I think it helps if things like this are happening. It helps all of us because there's I some way it changes yeah, the exactly. conversation, doesn't it? I think I really I think you're
3: really right. You're you're talking about it. My making a film about it, all that does is is somehow places it in our minds in a way that it's not in the resources, it's more in the forefront. And so change can happen that way. I certainly have felt that since so many people have seen this film here. It's, it's lifted something in our, um, those people who've seen it, even in their ability to talk to their own parents or loved ones. Um, and I think as an emblem, what they're doing is a great emblem. And and, um, and I know many people will continue to check back in and just watch their progress because we we want to see them achieve this community-based funeral service um, as, an, as, an, as a different possibility. You know, there would be many people, I think, who still want those very traditional funerals, but there are many of us who want this alternative. And I don't know... I I certainly feel something in me has relaxed from just knowing that when I die, this process will be will be part of what I experience. People I know will care for my body. People who've loved me will look after me and farewell me, and it won't be strangers. And and in my mind, that helps me somehow.
2: Oh, that's that's very beautiful. I agree with that myself. Um, you know, especially having experienced it, uh, that is certainly yeah. what I would want for myself, um, because there's 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 so much love in it.
3: So much love and so much in, in resolution and uh, the sharpest moments for me in talking to people in researching tender were those people who have had to have funerals for children who've died mm-hmm. and I think is for them, and I'm sure you've talked to, I'm sure you've talked to people who've had to deal with what must be one of the hardest things to manage, yeah. and if you if you could have that child's body at home, and you have the means to keep that body with you, and do all the things that you did, Cheryl, for your wife, if that was a child, um, that's, that's a precious time, and... I don't know that that time should be given over to someone else if you could hold it yourself and manage it yourself.
2: Yes, and and take your time,
3: not be rushed. Yes. Yes. In some ways, I think, you know, going back to that point I was making before, it's almost like we need the midwife for the dead. We need those people who help Mm. us manage that time, know what to do, it is difficult, it is challenging, at times it's overwhelming. But if someone can guide you and you can keep doing it yourself, you come through and feel that sense that you've had, um, that all that could have been done was done and that all the love was expended as it should be.
2: Absolutely, and and just as a side um, Detail. I did have friends there with me who knew much more about, for instance, how to keep her body preserved during that time and, you know, uh, just the practical parts that we know nothing about. We've lost all that knowledge. So that was also very important. Uh, And I'm sure that's some of what they're um, focused on as well. So... Um, well, we just we just have a paper. couple of we j- we just have a couple of minutes left, and uh, what I know from talking with you for this time is how deeply you're engaged with this project. Even though the film is complete, you're still, you know, um, I f- I feel a sense of mission listening to you.
3: Uh, is that correct? Well, yes, it, it really is. It really is. I do. I do think. I do think that there's a time for um, making change in this area, and I and I want to keep talking about it. I want to keep helping to support that change to happen wherever it can.
2: Well, I I hope that if there's any way I can intersect with that, you will let me know in the future, because uh, we we have similar feelings about that. I just think it's so. Uh, um, such a good thing to open this up in this way.
3: I think so too. I, you know, I I think people. Uh, I what I saw is that there are people who um, their process had had their grieving process been assisted, had they been able to participate more, their grief would have been the better experience for them. A
2: better experience. And, uh, I, I I so agree. Yeah. So. Lynette, thank you so much for this conversation today. I've really thoroughly enjoyed it. And listeners...
3: Too, Cheryl. Thank you. Yeah.
2: Be sure and go to tenderdocumentary.com.au. Next week, I'll welcome Deb Rich. Deb, a perinatal bereavement expert, founded the Shoshana Center in honor of her daughter, Shoshana, who was stillborn a week before her due date in 1985. We'll talk about how that loss infuses the work she does with families who have lost their children. Don't forget to go to my host page at Voice America to connect with me. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation.
1: Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief.